As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I believe I have neighbors outside who just heard that. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're taking a look at some Americans abroad. Some good news, some bad news on that front. We're also going to be talking a little more about the looming start of the MLS playoffs and whether or not we definitely need 62% of the league in the postseason. Here with me to argue that, if anything, we need that percentage to be even higher is Joe Lowry. Joe, I'm hearing from sources that you want it to be 85% of the league or bust. Man, your sources are right on, Taylor. Are they the people outside your window? I don't know who these people are, but they know me so well. Uh, if, if I've advocated for anything during this Major League Soccer season, it's that the MLS playoff should include as many teams as possible. And I'm excited to lay out my defense of that topic for the next 15 minutes. I appreciate that. Yeah, that that is going to be sort of the the uh, the primary point of at least segment one, maybe segment two on this episode, uh, taking root in the athletic piece, expanded MLS playoff form. Format puts the league at risk of complacency uh, on the athletic by the athletic soccer staff. This part in particular written by Paul Tenorio, uh, who we both know and enjoy. Uh, but the, the central points there being 18 of the 29 teams in the league are going to make the playoffs, uh, meaning that with only a few weeks left in the season, I think all but two teams at the time of publication remained in the race for the playoffs, which isn't really how it works in any other American sport, uh, to my mind at least, that there is always a, a sort of playoff line. I think the one that maybe comes closest would be maybe the NBA, where the regular yeah. season matters, but you often get players maybe not turning up in the best of shape to start the season and then rounding into form near the end. But you still have those playoffs that you can have fewer teams in and you have the kind of like, what, four out of seven series or whatever it is these days. So there's some <laughs> similarity there, but... I think for the most part, when we talk about American sports, we're talking about like the elite teams, quote unquote, making that postseason. And then it's meant to be that reward for a a season well fought, so to speak. Yeah, the NBA lets in more teams, including their new playing game. I think they've got straight up two thirds of their league makes it into the playoff format. But you you said some of it there, Taylor, right? Like the difference between the NBA and MLS, the difference in, in what they can get away with when it comes to the playoffs is is massively tilted in the NBA's favor because they have star power. Like, they have Mm -hmm. elite celebrities, really, not just, like, sports celebrities, but maybe even ones that sort of bridge the gap between culture and sports on almost every team and on basically every playoff team. MLS doesn't have that. They have a few of those players sprinkled throughout the league. Carlos Vela bridges that gap. Lionel Messi certainly bridges that gap. But they don't have the, the depth in firepower and the top end of firepower to really make that make sense as a reward. Like Graham said this the other day, playoffs are supposed to be for the good teams. Like that is the unspoken rule in sports because we never thought we had to say it out loud. And now MLS is is sort of trying to fight against that. And I, I don't think they get to be the ones to fight against that narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and so we talked about this, uh, you pointed this out in the pre-show chat, that we talked about this when we did our season preview that we're going to get with this expanded format 
more teams in the playoffs who maybe don't deserve to be there or haven't earned it over the course of the regular season. If we're playing devil's advocate for a moment, is there an argument that like that's good that you then get teams in there who can sort of round and form at the right time or maybe they had a downturn, they sacked their coach, now they're now they figured it out, now they're playing better and you want them in the postseason. Can you think of any compelling arguments for why we should have this sort of expanded format when it comes to MLS, Joe? Yeah, even though I think you and I, and I think the general TSS sentiment is that it's a little silly to let in this many teams, 62% into the playoffs. I think we can acknowledge there are some worthwhile reasons for why MLS is doing this. Like Tenorio writes about that in, in his piece. MLS wants to engage more of its fan bases for longer, right? And that makes sense, theoretically. If you're a Chicago Fire fan, you do have more reason to watch MLS right now and your team than a Colorado Rapids fan, a fan of a team that is already eliminated from postseason contention. For bad teams, you're likely going to get folks engaged for longer. I think that is a true and valid reason behind changing the playoff structure. MLS also wanted more playoff games, and, and you just straight up get more playoff games when you have more teams in the playoffs. Last year, it was 14 teams with the top team in each conference, so seven in each conference, the top team in each conference getting a bye. And then you you going from there with teams two through seven playing and, and you get the idea. You get more games, even without changing to the best of three format in the first round of this year's postseason. You already were going to get more games by having more teams in the playoffs. And, and I'll say this, even though I think it is ridiculous and it completely devalues, or, or I shouldn't say completely, it largely devalues the MLS regular season, which is the mm. real issue with having the playoffs be such a large thing where basically everybody and their mother gets in. Like, even though I think it's wrong and I think it is a mistake for Major League Soccer to pursue this path, what I will say is the playoff games are the most fun part of the MLS season. And I think that will always be true. I think the playoffs, there's just something different about it. It's the format, um, the risk of elimination, players really being in gear and understanding that this is make or break time. I, I don't know what all the different combinations are, but playoffs are fun. And I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both ends of my mouth here because I'm going to watch the playoffs I'll watch that ridiculous play-in game between eight and nine in each conference, and I'm going to get excited about it because I'm broken inside. But what I will say is the, the big problem in all of this, and I said it just a moment ago, is that by letting so many teams into the playoffs, MLS continues to devalue the biggest part of its offering. It's the regular season. Like, it is the thing that literally takes the longest and has by far the most games. And yet when you say, hey a team that basically has the points per game equivalent of the 12th place team in a major European league. Hey, you're in the playoffs. And that is what's happening, by the way. That's the points per game numbers that we're talking about, especially in the Eastern Conference this year. I believe the ninth place team in in the Eastern Conference right now is averaging 1.19 points per game. That's like, that's like 12th. That's like 11th place, 13th place in the Premier League. You're letting that team go into what is supposed to be the premier yeah. elite competition at the end of your season. It just... Taylor, it just doesn't make any sense. It does not. And to your point, playoffs are exciting. They're, we're always going to get excited for playoffs. But like you could extend that to, we'll then let in the entire league and have the worst team play the best team. And and like that's still going to be captivating. But to your yeah. point, it also completely devalues the point of the regular season because any team can turn it on at any moment. Any team can have a bad night. Maybe there's an injury and suddenly that top team gets knocked off. And it's a great story. But at the same time, for the supporters who followed that team the whole season as they were fighting for supremacy, fighting for the supporter shield, fighting to be top of their their conference, it just completely removes any sort of importance from that regular season. And I, speaking of a person who has has interest in major league soccer like i would say i don't watch it nearly as closely as you do certainly as some of the extra time guys do i'm not here to talk about houston's fourth choice right back but i always kind of felt like i was not being a very good supporter of american soccer because i would uh get really excited for the start of the season sort of like i do with uh fantasy soccer get really excited <laughs> for the start of it follow it for like the first five weeks and then slowly fade maybe watch some of the big games and then come back in maybe five weeks before the playoffs. And I assume that that was me being a deficient MLS supporter. In reality, it sort of feels like that's what a lot of people do because that's mm -hmm. what this system allows for is you can get really excited for the start. And if things are bad, you can sort of touch base as the season goes on. But with so many teams eligible for the playoffs, you can come back in, as you said, with like Chicago with six or seven games left and be like, oh, we're still in the race. Great. OK, I'm back in. Let's see how things have changed. But it doesn't really make that regular season very important. It ends up just making it a very lengthy thing that ultimately matters less. 
Yeah, yeah, and Paul Tenorio had a really, really good line. I think it's the best line in, in what is a very good piece from Paul on this topic. I think he had a really good line in in MLS Weekly, uh, basically saying, you know, MLS executives argue that when you look back at a season, every game matters, and that's that's true, yeah. right? Like it, it matters. Because if you pick up a point on the road sure. in July, you're that much closer <laughs> to making the postseason. Like, technically, that is true. And then Paul laid down this bar and said, we don't watch sports in hindsight. And I think that is so true, right? You can look back at something and say, wow, it turns out that that away game that we didn't really care about and that got terrible numbers on Apple TV or, you know, whatever the linear cable folks. Like, it turns out that that ended up being important, but it didn't feel important. Right? It didn't seem important at the time. That is the problem that MLS has yep. to, to deal with. And, and a lot of this, again, it's intertwined with the playoffs because, well, number one, it's, it's almost playoff time. And so it makes sense to talk about these kind of big picture things. But also because the regular season and the playoffs are intertwined by their very structure, right? But the real issue here for me and all of this, it's less about, okay, we're letting bad teams into the playoffs and more about like the regular season mm-hmm. is not compelling enough as a product. Now, those things are are inextricably connected to each other. But the big issue is like MLS just doesn't do enough to build up its regular season. And one way to fix that, one way to make the regular season feel more important is is to simply just get rid of some of the playoff spots, right? All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. if you're not fighting for ninth in your conference and you're fighting for seventh, like you were last year or sixth or whatever it's going to be, suddenly it's not just hindsight that shows these games as mattering. It's actually in the moment you thinking like this is going to be a key game. We do not have this margin for error. There are a few different solutions, I think, to making the regular season more compelling. And we've talked about this before. I can run through a couple in a minute or two, maybe. Mm. But I think starting there, when we're looking yeah. at teams that are just straight up not good, again, like mid table, lower mid table teams based off of points per game relative to some of the top European leagues. Like when these teams are making your end of season competition, it's going to have a ripple effect of issues and, and maybe a lack of competitiveness throughout the rest of your product. Yeah. Uh, two things there, one of which relates to how to make the regular season uh, more uh, matter more and more engaging. Uh, the first one would be like when we're talking about not watching in hindsight, I think what comes to mind for me is weirdly the 1999 MLS season uh, with DC United when I was uh, a teenager and like very involved in what DC were doing. They, uh, have a game, I think, like midway through the season against the Red Bulls. Uh, I remember this from the season review VHS. That's showing my age. Um, and that game was spotlighted as a like pivotal moment for that DC team because they get, uh, I think, like a goal called off for offside that wasn't offside, and then they get a red card uh, that was maybe unjustified, and then they go on to win that game. And it's sort of seen as this spark that ignites that team and that kind of sent them on this run that had them be very good. But the thing there would be that this is a DC team that then do win MLS Cup, but also won the Supporter Shield. So it's not a team that like scraped into the playoffs in fourth place after sort of turning it on for those final few games. They were there the whole season, but that is seen as a sort of like a catalyst, a specific moment where the team gelled. And those are really important but they are important after the fact when you go back and look at the season and how did it come to be? How did they sort of put this together the way they did? But in the moment, if you're trying to paint that narrative and then they go on to lose four games in a row, like that narrative is thrown out the window and it makes it really hard to sort of have those regular season games matter to to the point that you're making and that Paul is making. You just can't sort of really have those narratives because it sets you up to look foolish when then your best player gets hurt, you go on a five-game skid, the coach gets sacked, and you had written a piece about how they're coming together. This is going to be it. And so I think what we come to is how do you make either the playoffs matter more or the regular season matter more, and it has to be kind of one or the other. And in my mind, I think you can reduce the number of teams in the playoffs. If you dropped it down to like four in each conference, I think suddenly it's going to be ruthlessly competitive but then you have the issue of if you are the last place team or one of the last place teams, your season is done like potentially in May. And that is, I think, the big thing. The unspoken thing here is that you have teams that though you have relative parity in this league, you don't have teams that are going to be competing. You don't have owners that want to spend that much money to put them at that level. And so the playoffs allow owners to the expanded playoffs, that is, allow present owners to kind of scrape in and then say, hey, we made the playoffs. We won our first round game. Like, it's a sign that things are moving in the right direction. We don't need to spend money. We're doing great. And I think it, it's a 
it's not an argument for why the playoffs should be as they are. It's just a statement as to yeah. that, like why I think they, they exist as they do. But it's just you run into that hur- hurdle right away of if you only have eight teams making the playoff for, or 12 teams or whatever it is, like suddenly you are making the regular season matter more to the top half. But to the bottom half, I think you're going to get a lot of like 200 people in attendance at games. Yeah, it's it's not an easy solution, right? I think we can talk about simple ways to refine this. And I, I think there's like a happy medium, which probably looks a lot like last season's playoff format, where let's let's be honest, a lot of these teams would still be in it. You know, the gap between seventh and ninth is not huge. And so that's why I'm saying it's a happy medium because it doesn't totally, in my mind, legitimize like, oh, these are only the best of the best teams making the postseason. It, it's not that, right? There aren't seven elite teams in both conferences, But if you find that middle ground, you can keep teams engaged without making it feel more and more like a joke, right? I'm saying this as someone who who genuinely enjoys Major League Soccer and and I feel like spends more time watching and thinking about that league than probably anything else in this sport. But I I think anybody with, with two eyes can see that this current format is not ideal and that there is a middle ground in there somewhere. The other way that I think, Taylor, you... You get at this imbalance, right? You get at this imbalance between the playoff format and the regular season and how you weigh those things if you're Major League Soccer. I think the biggest solution to all this is to let teams sign better players, right? And and to sort of cut myself off here, you mentioned it. There are problems with that right off the bat. Again, this is not a simple solution. Certain teams don't want to do that, right? The Colorado Rapids don't want to spend money. The Philadelphia Union don't want to spend money on their first team superstars. There are going to be obstacles there. But if you let teams, and let's just pretend for a moment that those obstacles yeah. don't exist or or that there are other solutions there. If you let teams spend more money and sign better players, suddenly more people are going to be watching your product. Like we just brought it full circle all the way back around to the NBA. We talked about a lot of teams in the NBA make the playoffs, but people still watch and people still watch the regular season, even though there is an imbalance there, just like there is in Major League Soccer. I think there is that in any league that prioritizes playoffs and has that to cap off the season. But in the NBA the ninth place team or the eighth place team or the 10th place team has a superstar, like has someone that you can count on to entertain you. Major League Soccer doesn't have that. CF Montreal don't have that. Like you can go through the list of teams and compare it. If you let these teams in Major League Soccer go out and sign better players, more people are going to watch the regular season. And you don't have to then create this massive inventory of playoff games to finally cash in on a season that's been going on for most of the year. Like you can com- you can create those compelling reasons for people to watch your league earlier on. And and I think even, and Taylor, Mm. I think you mentioned this, the challenge of parity. Like, I think this was maybe last week. If you open up the spending and suddenly let Atlanta United and NYCFC and LAFC and all these teams into Miami, if you let them spend whatever they want, teams will get left behind. And so I think there does still need to be balance. But I think, again, there is a middle ground between MLS holding the reins so tightly when it comes to how teams can spend, which is in my mind where we are now, and doing what, Europe does where, you know, you have PSG winning the title nine years out of 10 and you've been like, you can find yeah. there, there's some place in the middle. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. And if you find that healthier middle ground, yeah, you're not competing with the Premier League in a decade, but you're also not in this weird purgatory. We let anybody into the postseason yep. and we don't really care about a regular season that you're in right now. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back to continue this conversation. Then we're going to look at some Americans abroad. And we're going to address a couple elephants in the room that we should probably mention uh, in the course of this conversation. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're discussing the expanded playoffs, how important the regular season may be. And there's, I think, two obvious things to note here. The first would be that, yes, promotion relegation would solve this problem, that you then have teams, you could do playoffs, the top, like, I don't know, 12 teams or whatever make the playoffs, the bottom 12 uh, go into the relegation playoffs, and then you have a team sent down or two teams or however many, but you have drama right there even if you don't do relegation playoffs you still have we don't want to be bottom we want to be in the top 12 so now you've you've kind of got a lot of bases covered there we're not going to get pro rail in major league soccer at least not anytime soon i I wish we did i think we should but it's just kind of a non-starter so to me that is the obvious answer but we're not going to get it so it's kind of not worth spending more time than we need to on that one joe any thoughts on pro rail aside from yeah it would probably be okay it would be awesome and hopefully the usl does it a little quick mini plug We just did a player survey over a backfield um, and, and asked a bunch of players from around the league a bunch of different questions. And one of them was, would you support Pro-Rel? Pro easy for me to say, man, mm-hmm. in the United Soccer League. And an overwhelming majority said yes. And I, I think that would yeah. apply to fans. I think that applies to pretty much everyone, noting that we are not the ones with hundreds of million dollars at stake. Yeah, exactly. And that's the issue. And that is kind of the the other elephant in the room is the idea that American sports exist as cartels. They exist as monopolies. They are a closed system where owners are protected. Look at how many things on the NFL side, for example. How many things came out about Dan Snyder in his tenure as the owner of Washington before he was eventually gently forced into selling and and that is a because it's a protected league owners don't want to come under criticism in that way owners don't want to be forced out they don't want to open that door and so they're going to work as a unit and protect themselves and that's very much the case with pretty much every sport in the united states including major league soccer and so owners aren't going to want to kick each other out of the league or relegate they're not going to want to force each other to spend more money though they should and that is a thing that you already talked about, like the other major issue here is just the open knowledge that certain franchises aren't going to spend money. That is the case in every like league, lest we forget. It's why we have like Moneyball, for example, because some teams aren't able to spend the money that the New York Yankees are. So that is just a reality. But it shouldn't then be the case that like, well, these owners don't want to spend money. So we've got to kind of incorporate them and limit the budget so that then they're not angry. It just feels like what you're doing is lowering the bar to make everybody happy, which I understand, but it doesn't lead to a better product. It doesn't lead to more interest. If anything, it just leads to more cynicism and more frustration with the league of rather than try to make it an even more elite product or make that regular season really matter. And and it's a ruthless thing that you've got to fight tooth and nail to get into. It's just sort of like, ah, we'll let in more and then we'll figure it out. And it kind of stands in the face of, like the competitive spirit that I think sports are supposed to embody. So that's the other, I think, elephant in the room worth sort of just clarifying up front is that part of the problem is that owners don't want to have to spend, and right now they don't really have to because they're going to continue to have a team in the top flight of American soccer in in North America. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is some owners don't want to spend. There are some that very clearly do. Arthur Blank Mm -hmm. spending not only on Atlanta United, but also spending on U.S. soccer. And U.S. soccer now having or working towards having a massive headquarters in Atlanta, partially funded by Arthur Blank. Like this project would not have been possible for U.S. soccer without Arthur Blank. And there are a few other owners that I think are in that category but by and large, because of how MLS is structured with the, the Products and Strategy Committee, I think is what it's called. This is when we need Paul and Sam over our shoulders, Taylor. With Major League Soccer having a certain group of people set as decision makers and a number of owners who don't really want to spend on their product right now because they know that their investment is appreciating over time because of what others are doing. And even just the passage of time as soccer gets more and more established in this country, things move slowly. The, the other thing I'll add to that is I am more optimistic, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'm more optimistic now about potential changes coming, you know, less less likely to the playoff format next season. I don't think you're going to see it change right away, uh, but more likely to some roster rules and starting to maybe not take the training wheels off, but make them smaller. Does does making them smaller give you more maneuverability as a, as a young child? Or I don't, I don't know how training wheels work yeah, anymore. Yeah, I think so. Okay, we're going to say make the training wheels smaller. Give the Mm -hmm. bike riders a little bit more flexibility. I think we're going to see more of that. This is not any inside knowledge. This is just me reading the tea leaves from an outsider's perspective. I'm optimistic that there'll be some small changes or maybe something more than some small changes that will help teams that really want to go out and be ambitious. Inter Miami now is the darlings of Major League Soccer are among the teams pushing for those changes. 
I'm more hopeful now than I've been in a long time that MLS might start to bend a little bit. So is that the ideal solution for you is just sort of those smaller training wheels for you? If we're talking about how to make the regular season matter more or the playoffs more significant, what would be your ideal solution, Joe? Yeah, it's it's a couple different things. I think you can still tweak the playoff format a little bit to make it more exclusive while MLS is still, you know, as far down the global soccer ladder as it is when a soccer fan could go watch a League MX game, as a lot of soccer fans in the U.S. do, or a Premier League game, or any of these top European leagues, they don't have to choose MLS, right? It's not a league of choice at this point. I think you can do multiple things to try and put yourself in a better spot. One is spend more um, while still keeping some of the major structures in place, right? I'm not sure it's a bad thing necessarily to have a salary cap. I'm not sure it's a bad thing necessarily to have things like designated players, even though I would probably get rid of that and allow teams to spend more evenly across the squad. Having some bumpers bowling style in place is a good thing um while changing some things on the salary side i, I like the idea of going back to seven uh teams in the, each conference in the playoffs especially when you go to 30 teams next year with san diego coming in you go back to seven and now it's just under half of each conference right 15 teams in each conference now you're at seven something about that just feels better to me right instead of saying more than half of the teams in my conference are going to make the playoffs having it be less than 50 percent feels Good. Um, I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. I have one other like off the wall. Oh, shoot. Sorry. One other one other change that I missed. I think somehow increasing like win bonuses in Major League Soccer in the regular season. I I think that's huge. We had a USL player suggest that to us sort of out of the blue for the USL player survey as well. I I think giving players legitimate financial incentives to perform will genuinely change what you see on the field in July and August in Major League Soccer. It's expensive. It's not easy to do, um, but working on that. And then my other suggestion, this one was in the news a little bit last week with Benny Failhaber and MLS Next Pro. Uh, Benny Failhaber coaching Sporting Kansas City 2 and MLS Next Pro. Have the top seeds, Taylor, in the playoffs get to pick who they play. That, that's what I want to see. I want to see like an all-star style. Oh, like I, I think the NBA sometimes does like, you know, drafts where LeBron has a team and Giannis has yeah. a team. And they draft, like make it into a show on Apple TV and have inter, uh, shoot Ninja Miami is a terrible example. St. Louis get to yeah. go out there and pick who they want to play. Like let them, let them choose and then let the other team, if they beat St. Louis dunk on them on social media, like make it into more of a spectacle. MLS needs more of those things. I, I honestly think this maybe could happen someday, but I'm just so obsessed with this idea right now after MLS next pro did it, man. That would be some locker room material right there, Joe. I feel so like good. your preseason predictions would get knocked off of the, uh, the, <laughs> the locker room board in favor of a team saying, yeah, we'll play them, we'll beat them. That's yeah. a great call. Um, one less likely to happen idea. Would you be in favor of going with a like clausura, apertura sort of thing if they want to basically have more playoffs, more eyes on meaningful games? If you have two seasons in a year, essentially, uh, and you have a, a an abbreviated regular season, and then you have teams making the playoffs, and then you've got a winner there, and then you're right back into the regular season and playoffs thereafter. It does sort of give you a shorter regular season with an expanded playoff window. Uh, that does then require a kind of fundamental change in the way the league operates, and, uh, and in terms of getting to play everybody, you're probably not going to get nearly as many people getting to see, say, Inter-Miami's uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, so that probably wouldn't work either. But it is something that I think if you wanted to have shorter regular season and more playoffs, that does that job. Yeah, I, I think you put pretty much everything on the table right now. If you're Major League Soccer, I, I don't know if they're actually amenable to really any of the things that we're talking about. Although I, I'd be shocked if they're not, you know, watching and evaluating how certainly how the numbers are doing and certainly how the, the TV numbers and subscribers are performing for them. And you're one of the Apple deal. Apple, I think, will continue to be as they've already started to be a real driver for change in major league soccer mm-hmm. as they say like hey this is inefficient like we can do this better let's make more money by doing it this way you know maybe splitting the season in two is that my honestly my biggest hurdle and this is like a super american sports fan kind of thing to say is i, I just don't love that format like it mm-hmm. it is foreign to me yep. and i feel like it would be another slight obstacle to getting people on board that maybe doesn't outweigh the benefits that you get. So I don't know. I I think there are challenges there, but honestly, at this point, I I would listen to all suggestions. I think another one that could be fascinating is basically you have 
uh, salary budget for the next season is determined by season finish. So if you are the Galaxy who were expected to be in the playoffs and you are not, now you've got some uh, decisions to have to make. Same thing for Inter Miami if you don't have the budget that maybe you would if you had finished top of the East. Uh, So maybe that's one way to do it, although I think that presents its own host of problems. And that really is what we keep coming back to, is every solution also presents problems, but it's still worth delving into because I don't love the system as it is. I don't think 62% of teams should be in the postseason. I don't think it really does much to to bring about interest. And I certainly don't think adding in random competitions in the middle of the season is going to do that either. And I understand the appeal of, of League's Cup. I understand what the idea was behind bringing it in, but also the hope that like, well, we'll, we'll generate all this interest in these teams and people will tune in to see these like rivalry games and these playoff sort of games and these meaningful fixtures. And then they'll be locked in for the rest of the regular season. But if anything, for me, it sort of like brought about this hype. And then I think everybody was sort of like went back to their usual behavior right up until mm. the last like five weeks of the season or so. It just, it didn't seem to have the impact that I think they hoped. And, and so I don't think, adding in what I would say are gimmicky competitions or gimmicky things uh, to sort of punctuate the regular season is the way to do it either. That just also feels like it's stretching things out. Yeah, I I think I agree with you on that. Uh, w- with this caveat, I think League's Cup was great. Like as a spectacle, I think mm-hmm. it was very, very entertaining. There are obvious logistical challenges to just smacking it in the middle of the season and not taking any games away. And not only not taking games away, but also this year, adding games in the playoffs as we discussed, both because there are more teams in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and because you're forcing teams to play more games in the first round with the best of three series that we haven't seen in Major League Soccer for years now. Players, and I I think Jonathan Tannenwall, I haven't read the piece yet, but had an article with quotes from Andre Blake saying basically like too many games. Like it's the same thing that we're hearing now in Major League Soccer that we're hearing all around the world. Like it's certainly in the top leagues over in Europe. Rafael Varane talks about this all the time. You had Julian Gressel retweeting. Like there, there are so many players that feel physically taxed. I think having League's Cup where you get to play against other teams and in, in sort of a one-off thing that's fun and MLS needs more way to infuse fun and entertainment and audiences into their current audience and product, I think having that is probably something that is is a net positive for Major League Soccer. And, and I would expect something that we'll see from other leagues around the world in 10, 20 years from now as maybe other current cup competitions go away or change and evolve. But... I don't think you can just keep adding, right? Like you have to subtract something at some point, right? Or you have to add more players or you have to do something. Like why not shorten the regular season by four games, play 30 games instead? When Let's be honest, like nobody really cared about those four games that weren't on the calendar. I I just think there need to be some, there needs to be some balance in all this stuff. And and I think League's Cup caused problems, but I selfishly would like to see it stick around and hopefully players can find a way and MLS can find a way to accommodate players in order to make that happen in a safe way. I have a question of genuine ignorance for you. Post uh, League's Cup, aside from Messi and Miami, were there other teams that you feel like 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 did really smart things, rounded into form, uh, are playoff contenders, or do you feel like things roughly stayed the same with Miami as the sort of talking point for most of the league? Yeah, the Western Conference, like things have changed, right? Because MLS is so parody centric, so the Western Conference has shuffled a bunch, and there's still not a lot of clarity on what we're going to see there. LAFC in particular have kind of fallen off. They've been struggling since they had some promising results in League's Cup. Atlanta United, I think, have gotten hot since they have stayed strong. Columbus have done a lot. Like, I think there are storylines here, and there are always storylines in Major League Soccer. Like, there there are real reasons to watch this league if you're an American soccer fan, but uh, there's just also a bunch of challenges that go along with it that we've talked about, too. Yeah, I, what what I was getting to, and I still sort of wonder, is like, if after League's Cup, like, could you have just gone into playoffs? Like, that's obviously right. its own problem of like, you have a tournament that has a final and then you have playoffs immediately thereafter. But to your point about shortening the season, like, there is a part of me that thinks, why stop at 30 games? And I know part of this is because they want to elongate the season. They want players to play more play more games across a longer time period because right now MLS is a relatively short season compared to the rest of the world. Uh, so I don't think that would solve that problem, but I'm also not sure that's a problem they should be solving. And to some extent, I wonder if you have fewer regular season games that are spaced out and then you have a longer playoff format, maybe that solves some of the problems. I just don't think you need a comprehensive 34-game regular season 
and then the majority of the league making it into the playoffs and then extending those playoffs all the more. So I would love to see some cutting down. Either it's fewer teams making the playoffs or it's a much shorter regular season. I would like there to be much more money and have the regular season matter more from that perspective. Maybe Supporter Shield, you just get like a fourth DP spot. Maybe maybe that's what it should be. Maybe that's how we make Supporter Shield that much more significant or something. I think there should be competitive incentives for teams that want those incentives and want to be competitive and want to spend the money to make that happen. I think the the key to building the Supporter Shield into what it is is to let the current Supporter Shield holders now I've seen Cincinnati do the marketing for the Supporter Shield. It's like clockwork. Clockwork every year you get the team that wins it. Like talking about how it is, it's no. This is actually the better trophy to win. Like MLS Cup, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a fluke. And honestly, they make the arguments that I make all the time. Uh, you know, MLS Cup is over such a shortened period of time, and the format's different. Supporter Shield is the purest form that we have of finding the best team in Major League Soccer. Right? Really, this is the trophy that everybody wants to win. That's basically a a paraphrased version of the Pat Noonan uh-huh. comments that came out earlier in this week. <laughs> Just have whoever has the shield sure. do the marketing for the shield. That's the key. Sh- Sure. I guess that would do it. I feel like it would just lead to other fan bases saying it doesn't matter at all. The playoffs That's true. matters. Correct. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, congratulations, FC Cincinnati. Uh, I, I hope they make it out of the first round. Otherwise, once again, the playoffs are a frustrating thing for people who paid attention in the regular season. Uh, Joe, I think we can probably leave that one there. We're going to take one more break and then we'll talk about some Americans in action when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. Joe, no more playoffs, no more MLS, no more regular season. Let's talk Americans in action abroad. But we're going to start on a bit of a down note. Uh, We got the news, I believe I saw it yesterday as we were recording, uh, that Tyler Adams uh, has aggravated the hamstring issue or has another hamstring issue. Either way, we'll be out for a lengthy period of time or a specific period of time. But uh, whatever the phrasing was, we once again will not have Tyler Adams playing for Bournemouth. And it feels very likely we will not have him playing for the U.S. in this next window either. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. Taylor, you were close. I think you took two bites of the apple. Sometime is the word that yes, Areola yes. used. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Basically, the quote is from, from Bournemouth manager, it is true that Tyler Adams is going to be out for some time, for sure. I think it's the same area, referencing that hamstring. He said, I couldn't tell you if it's exactly the same point, but it's true that it's his hamstring that is not feeling well. This <laughs> yeah. is coming off of Tyler Adams already being out for six months. He had just come back, comes off the bench uh, in, in the Carabao Cup, win over Stoke City for Bournemouth. And then hurts himself and is not available for the weekend. And, and now we kind of know where we are. Yeah, it's, it's not great news for the U.S. Taylor, there's a game against Germany. I honestly had kind of forgotten about this coming yep. up later this month. Sadly, I, 
we won't see Tyler Adams for that game. We won't get the game against Ghana either. Germany 10-14, Ghana 10-17. We're probably not going to see him in the Nations League either in in, uh, November, which is more important than normal. So it's the Nations League quarterfinals. Yeah, the winner qualifies for the Nations League finals, which is those, those final four. But more importantly, the winner of that game qualifies for the 2024 Copa America. And so the U.S. margin for error gets a little thinner whenever Tyler Adams isn't available for selection. And, and it seems like that's where things are trending. There's like a Seinfeld bit here of of the where the emphasis is on some tells us how bad that injury is. Because if it's like, <laughs> yeah, he'll be out for some time. Versus like, he'll be out for... For some time. Some time. Yeah, like it really, it could go either way. But I got the impression that it will be a lengthier spell, uh, hopefully not requiring surgery or anything like that. But either way, yes, will not be there for for those two uh, friendlies. Do we want to get into who replaces him, or is the answer just Yunus Musa and on we move? Yeah, I think that's that's <laughs> totally the answer at this point. Musa plays some as a six against Oman last month, did it in the Nations League finals back over the summer, and Pioli's calling him a complete player for Milan. And I think for those of us that have watched him play in the midfield, we know that's not quite true, right? His passing range is still a little bit limited. He still leans too hard on the dribbling side over the the connector side of things. But he is the steadiest option that the U.S. will have in a big game in the back. I, I didn't think Luka De La Torre played badly against Uzbekistan when he was on the field in that first game in September. I, I like a lot of what De La Torre brings to the table. So I'm not opposed to seeing more of him at the six either. But in any big game when Tyler Adams isn't available and Yunus Musa is, and you want to play with a single six, at least in my mind, Taylor, mm-hmm. Musa's the guy. Let me ask you this, and this is a your preference, not a what do you think Berhalter would sure. do. With Adams out, with the new cycle, with some of the players playing where they are specifically in new positions, would you like to see the U.S. experiment with, say, a 3-4-3 and just have a, a, a two central midfielders, maybe that's... Uh, maybe that's Musa and McKinney. Maybe McKinney's sure. at right wing back. Who knows? Would you like to see them try something different with this camp, or would you rather see them persist with the four three three and sort of experiment with little nuances along the way, including who else can do that number six job aside from Adams and Musa? I would rather see the back four, and I say back okay. four, not necessarily four three three, because I think the biggest thing that I'm curious about for the U.S. really in this whole cycle is how they get Florin Balogun involved, and one of the ways that I think you can do that more is by giving Gio Reyna a larger role in central areas. We know at this point, Baralter and Reyna have talked. I'm not sure if we've ever mentioned that on this show or not. Maybe folks have seen it. It was not a big news item. Matt Crocker came out and said it in Chicago, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Like They've talked. It seems like things are moving forward as as they were always likely to move forward. And so it seems like there's been progress there. Gio's going to be in the October camp, U.S. soccer set, as long as he's healthy. So I want to see... Gio Reyna's positioning tweaked a little bit, and maybe we see him inside more. We've seen mm-hmm. it before, but I want to see that like five more times, and you get some combination of Musa, McKenney, Adams, Reyna, whoever's healthy in those central spaces, and you keep the back four, and you have Pulisic on one wing, you have Way on the other, and you try to find ways to get Balogun more touches mm-hmm. in dangerous areas with that alignment. Uh, since you brought him up, let's move on to that one, because I want to talk about Balogun for a moment. Uh, scores a goal, plays really well in Monaco's 3-2 win over Marseille on the weekend. Uh, and I focused on the goal, not surprisingly. It's a very it's a very good goal. It's a smart yeah, it run uh, in between the defenders. Uh, he, he receives the ball well. He then sort of carries it sort of away from goal, but takes it like across the defender's back and sets himself up really well to get the shot, rifles that shot into the uh, the near post netting, which I am good with. Uh, I really like the finish. I really like the touch. I thought it was like just solid across the board. There's no butt coming other than that. I sent that to a buddy of mine. We were very excited about Balogun, and he pointed out who on the U.S. can play that ball that is played, and mm. watching it again... It's it's from a uh, free kick that's taken very quickly, uh, and it's it's played in to uh, I forget the player's name, uh, but he he basically turns as he's receiving and with his second touch then plays in uh, Balagun, and it stood out to me just that we don't have as many people who I think operating centrally can turn that quickly process information that fast and play really smart through balls like that. Gio Reyna is one of them. And so I'm with you that I think Gio Reyna centrally does get Balogun more balls through like that, but also lets them combine a little more technically through the middle. So I'm with you. I think Reyna playing more centrally with the back four is something that I am very okay with. 
Yeah, I, I think there's so much potential with that alignment. Now, you need Giorena to actually be Akliush, healthy. Akliush, by the way. Akliush there it is. is who did Well done. Yeah. It's Thank a fun you. Monaco team, Taylor. Honestly, it really like, is. You get Minamino. You have Golovin, who was one of my favorite players to watch at, what would that have been, the 2018 World Cup? He was on that mm-hmm. Russia team. Like, it, it's a fun group of players that Adi Hutter has at his disposal. Yeah, I, I want to see more of Ballingen doing what he does so well. And we saw this back in the summer. We saw this a little bit in September. But it's what we're seeing a lot with Monaco, and we see it on this goal. It's him making those direct yep. runs in behind. Monaco want to rely on that in their attacking structure, and they have players. It wasn't Minamino or Golovin in that moment, but those two guys are the most regular starters for them in the half spaces in the 3-4-3 shape that Hooter's gone to most of the time. 3-4-1-2, I think, in, in maybe that was their most recent game. I, I don't remember if it was Nice or Marseille that we saw that. But we see these players thread the ball in behind. The U.S. needs more of that, and it's likely to come from Gio Reyna than Weston McKinney probably after that. But relying on what Balogun does so well, which is his movement, which is his ability to create separation off the ball, and then a little bit on the ball. He can create his own shot. Mm-hmm. We see that on this goal against Marseille. He's not uh, maybe like you know top five or ten in the world at creating his own shot, but I do not think genuinely that, there, that there's another striker in the U.S. pool that can do it anywhere nearly as well as yeah. he can do it. Um, so you have all of those really positive traits for Balogun, along with, Taylor, I think another positive development, like he's starting games and very clearly yep. has the belief of of the manager and of the team. So I, I'm guessing a lot of folks heard about this already. This was last weekend, it would have been. Balogun becomes the first player in 16 years in Liga to miss two penalties in the same game. He comes in against Nice, takes the first penalty, goes low and left, but only just left of center. And it's a pretty easy save. Then the second penalty, you come up and think, all right, I'm going to put this one in the back of the net, and at least we're net even for today. And we go off and we fight another day, and, and nobody really is that upset at me. But he takes this one almost right down the middle, kind of sternum high from the angle that I could see. And it's saved. Like, it, it's not a super difficult save either. Doesn't pick a corner either time. But even through that, we saw that Monaco have trust in him. Hooter said afterwards, quote, we will be there to help him bounce back because he is still a young attacker. And and he's now like either the starting number nine with Wissam Ben Yedder yep. on the bench, who's in some real legal trouble in France, by the way, the last time that I checked and, and seems like Ooh, um, maybe not that. someone that should be in the locker room. Uh, ah. But maybe something has changed since I, I looked last. Uh, but ah. he's either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. So he's either okay. starting yeah. over Ben Yedder. Or they play together in a front two, which is a, a something that Balogun has done plenty of times in the past in Liga. Well, things are, are generally going well. Like, you'd think that the double penalty miss would be a bigger setback, but his quality is so clear, Balogun, and his ability in the box is so clear. Like, this guy is the real deal, and he's going to score a lot of goals for a very fun Monaco team this year. Yes. I'm not going to talk about Ben Yedder. I will talk about Balogun instead. Uh, uh, you talked about Hayes somewhat like capable of creating his own shot yeah. uh, or m- like more than capable when it comes to the U.S. pool. I would add he is also very good at creating shots for other teammates. Uh, that was another thing I noticed in this one. Uh, he has a good moment uh, prior to scoring when he uh, has the ball played into his feet. He's sort of dropped in a little bit more, which I think fits Berhalter's style uh, and has a defender on his back. He turns that defender with one touch and then plays an overlapping teammate with the second plays them in. Uh, I, I, I think it was Jacobs, uh, Ismail Jacobs, who's on the run there. And that felt very reminiscent of what we might see the United States do with him sort of dropping in, linking up play and then playing in maybe Pulisic, maybe Wea, who knows uh, out wide. But for the second goal for uh, Monaco, it's, Balogun receiving on the run, I believe he receives with his chest, then thighs, then has a little lobbed volley assist to Akliush, who then finishes very well. But it's that control and that presence of mind and that awareness under pressure to still create an attacking play, not just sort of bring the ball down and then see what's happening. It's very proactive attacking sensibilities, I guess, is the best way I can put it. And so to see just how sharp he was in that game, especially having missed those two penalties, stood out to me as a player that still has plenty of confidence and backs it up with with strong performances. So that made me very, very happy. Uh, So too has and does Luca Coliosho. Joe, are you okay with moving on to him? Oh, yeah. I I am pretty much okay with any convo at this point that involves Luca Coliosho until he breaks all of our hearts. him getting called up? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, until he breaks our hearts and goes to play for Italy or Canada or uh, Nigeria instead. No, no. He's playing for the United States. I need that to happen. 
Uh, I know we do this every single time there's a dual national. I know we think this is the guy. Uh, and if we don't get Kolyosho, it will be fine. Yeah. But man, do I feel like he would fit really well uh, with this U.S. team. And and not even necessarily because he like does things that Berhalter wants or fits Berhalter's style. I think he does. He's just he's got fight, man. He's just a scrappy player in the best possible way. That doesn't mean sometimes that can be coded language for like doesn't have a very good first touch or or wants to get into fights. What I mean is just that he just doesn't seem to back down. Anytime there was a 50-50 against Newcastle, he was going into it aggressively, not overly aggressively, but it just felt like he was all action, high energy, trying to win the ball wherever he can, but then also backing himself to make plays. I think the first two times I saw him on the ball versus Newcastle, he's in 1v1s and he does really, really well. The third time, I think he's in a 3v1 and I think ends up earning a throw. And the commentator said, like, ah, he's doing well in 1v1s. Three might be a little bit too much, but he's still... A really electric player who's trying to make things happen, has the speed, has good dribbling ability, has some creativity there. But it's just that, like, willingness to ride challenges. Uh, there's one uh, when he's playing against Manchester United. He drops in a good 30 yards with a defender on his back. The ball's played long. He controls it expertly and then just plays it wide to now his advancing fullback who is open. And then the attack kind of triggers from there. But the way he's able to kind of facilitate that attacking player by dropping in, playing quickly, and then spinning and trying to get in while he has a defender on his back. All of that just feels like things that we will need from players. We don't have World Cup qualifying, obviously, but just against CONCACAF opposition, against teams that are trying to bunker, that are trying to frustrate. You need people who can be dynamic and energetic, but also won't get overly frustrated or won't back down when they get kicked a few times, as he will in CONCACAF. So it just feels like there are a lot of boxes ticked for Kolyosho. Uh, I'm hyping him up significantly. You're right. I'm going to be very bummed when he plays for somebody else instead of the U.S. There aren't many players in the U.S. pool who play like Luca Kolyosho. There aren't a lot of wide players that can make something happen with the ball at their feet, who are direct but can combine and work between the lines as well. He is someone that's certainly worth watching closely. You're right, Taylor. We don't know who he's going to play for at the senior international level yet. He hasn't had to make that decision to do the some of the background work on Kolyosho. I, I mentioned it briefly in passing, I think, on a weekend review. Not this week, but maybe last week. I'll do it again quickly here. Uh, he's been one of the most interesting U.S. eligible players to watch this season because he's risen so fast. Just turned 19 a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks weeks ago, not years ago. Um, so he's 21, he's as it turns out. Yeah, he's actually 35, um, and he's not very good. He just turned 19 a couple of weeks ago. He only played Taylor 59 minutes in La Liga for Espanol last year. And so I, I thought when he moves to Burnley, okay, this yeah. is a guy who'll get spot right minutes off the you. bench. Mm-hmm. He started all six of their Premier League games so far. He's not going full 90s. He's coming off around the 60th to the 65th minute. I don't think that's a bad thing. But he he's legitimately playing. Born in Connecticut to a Nigerian father, an Italian-Canadian mother. So the, you have all four nationalities wrapped up right there. USA, born get in the U.S., Canada. Nigeria, <laughs> Italian, Canadian. He's been in Canada senior team camps but has not played for them. He's played for both the U.S. and Italy at youth level and is reportedly – Still open to playing for the U.S. He'd have to file a one-time switch, blah, 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 boring FIFA stuff. No one cares. So he left the U.S. at 10 years old, made it to the Espanol Academy, uh, is in the academy, I think, at 16, makes his first team debut in May of last year, and then scores a banger in June of last year before moving to Burnley. He's still raw. And Taylor, I'm sure you saw this in the tape, right? Like some of the some of the decisions that he oh, makes, yeah, some sure. of the passing, like uh, some of those things aren't there, but it's so easy to see what Vincent company likes about him. Like he's aggressive. Mm -hmm. He's scrappy. He likes to push the the ball forward towards goal, not super physically imposing, which I thought was um, then a a bit weird. Why it seemed like in the clips of him that I watched, like Burnley were purposely playing long balls right towards him when he maybe had like a four inch height deficit in that game against the Newcastle defender. They played maybe like 10 or 15 long balls directly to him. And he jumped every time. I think he maybe won one of those aerial duels. Like he's not going to bring you a lot when it comes to the ball being in the air. But he loves to dribble. Like isolated 1v1, he loves to drive at defenders. He dusts Diogo Dalo against mm-hmm. Manchester United, draws a, a, a yellow card, I think, in the first half of that game. He's the real deal on the ball. Lots of, of room still to refine his game. Decision-making, yeah. reps, um, work in the final third, all of those things that you expect from a young winger who's not played very much at a high level. But man, the improvement curve, I think, has been pretty steep in the, in the good kind of steep way. And I am certainly more intrigued by his game now than I was like four months ago. Yeah. 
Agreed. Uh, agreed on like everything you said there. He definitely has that youthful tunnel vision when he's got the ball at his feet. Yeah. And occasionally he's just a like, head down of going on a dribble. And sometimes that can mean he dribbles out of bounds. Sometimes that can mean he dribbles straight into a defender and loses the ball. Sometimes it can mean he gets by them and creates something. Uh, and I think that's where I, I am excited to see what Vincent Company does with him uh, at Burnley. Because it feels like a player that you want to harness and not shackle. That you wa- you don't want to be like, no, we're not doing any of that. Change your entire game plan. You need to do this and this and this and don't do that. It feels like a player that you sort of fine tune some of what he's doing and you bring about the strengths and you limit some of the vulnerabilities and you make him a better player overall. Thus far, it seems like Vincent Company is capable of doing that as a manager. So I, I look forward to see how he develops, how that decision making changes or how it doesn't change. And then we have some answers there as well. I do think if he were to be called up into this camp, let's say he appears for the United States, what people should be expecting is, a lot of energy, a lot yeah. of dynamic running, yeah. and to have occasional moments of like, what? <laughs> like when he just tries to run into two people and does not do anything with it. There will be frustrating moments if he plays for the United States, but at the same time, I think they're very much balanced by how much talent and ability he brings. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's exactly what people should expect. I, I just want to reiterate one more time. Like he, he's going to have those what moments, Yeah, but he also will create something for you. He's not like the super smooth, silky through ball threader, like Ozil type or Jack Grealish. That's not his game. He is a, a winger. Like he, he plays wide for Burnley. He tends to be pretty wide towards the sideline when he's out on the wing, either side, right wing, left wing. He's right footed. Uh, but he actually can turn his touches into like a, a real dangerous entry into the final third or into the box. It's that final ball that isn't maybe there quite yet. But he has energy and, and the, the quality you need from, yeah. in, in Burnley's case, a team that's defending for their lives at some point in time. And for the U.S., a team that wants to be on the front foot and press and counter press and do all of those things, he can do that stuff. And he can also do something when he actually has the ball. And as low of a bar as it feels like that is, let's be honest, the U.S. still don't have a ton of players that can do something with their touches at a high level. Like it's yeah. it's Polisic, it's Wea. It's Giorena, it's Musa, it's McKenny, it's Dest. Like that's kind of the list. Balogun as well, but it's it's different when you're a number nine. That's kind of in my mind the list. And Kolyosho is not on that list yet. He's not good enough to be on that list. But give him a year or a, maybe at this rate, like six months, and we might be having a different conversation. I'm assuming that you are in the same camp as I am. That like you call him in whenever you can, and you at least try to make him make that decision or help him make that decision or give him some opportunity to get used to the U.S. camp. Like if if you can, I would say you call him in, even if you're not playing significant minutes in this camp or he's not playing significant minutes, yeah. just get him in the camp to see what it's like. Yeah, I, I think he's probably good enough now um, to make a, a full U.S. roster. Like if this was yeah. the Nations League window. So I guess one month, we're thinking one month ahead, but for the October window, there's even less pressure because it's it's a pair of friendlies on right. the East Coast. I, I think you absolutely call him in, and, and even if it was a bigger game, I think he's probably still good enough to crack that squad. Yeah, I think the Nations League would be tougher because that would be an official competition, so that's yeah. when he would have to actually make a decision. Well, and even, Taylor, sorry, and even, I think even in October, because he's played for Italy at youth level, mm-hmm. I, I think he would have to decide. Like, I don't. Th- it's the same as Christopher Lund, I believe. You can't go back. This is a one-time deal. So it is still complicated for Cole Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, you are correct. I think what I'm saying is like we've seen this in the past where a player is brought into the camp and does not play. Right. But they're just right, right, in right. the okay. camp. They get used to it. They see yeah, what it's like. Yeah, happened with Balogun, right? Yeah, and just come in and, and see the yeah. vibes. And just see how it is. See what you think of it. See, well, Yeah, and, I, and that worked out well. So I hope this one works <laughs> out well too. Uh, a player who has obviously represented the United States but is having a bit of a what moment as well uh, at present time would be Weston McKinney, the final player I want to talk about. About today, starting at right wing back for Juve, a thing we all saw happening uh, at the expense of Tim Weah. Another thing we all saw <laughs> happening. Uh, Weston McKinney as a wing back. Joe, what do you make of it? Yeah, literally in my notes is quote didn't think it would go like yes. this exclamation yeah. point. Um, <laughs> let's be honest, it's it's not surprising that Weston McKinney is playing in a weird spot. Okay, right? like he, let's talk ahead. about that for a moment. Wait, what? Why do you say that? Well, because Schalke. Like that's that's the answer to my that's the answer to your question. In in which way? Because he played there before? Because Schalke just had him play every single position based on areas of need? Both of those things. Okay. Like, he's doing, basically at Juventus, he's he's almost done a Schalke. I don't think he's played center back. I don't think he's played as a nine. But he played as kind of like, like a second it, striker yeah. at times. He's played on both wings, like as a wide midfielder. Now he's played as a wing back. He's obviously played some as a central midfielder. He's kind of done a Schalke all over again, which is just... 
what you get when you're Weston McKinney, partially because Schalke did that to him, but also because he is a very versatile player who's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and just an athlete. And so it makes it not, let me rephrase, he's not just an athlete, but he is an athlete on top of being good, Mm -hmm. technically proficient at a lot of things, but maybe not technically excellent at a lot of things. So yeah, he ends up playing wing back. Just the sick, dark twist to it from a U.S. perspective, of course, is that you go out and sign Wea yeah. ostensibly to be the Juan Cuadrado replacement, and it makes so much sense. And now Wea is riding the pine, and McKenney's playing wing back, and I'm sure neither of them are like totally thrilled about that. Removing the Wea component for a moment and just focusing on McKenney. Uh, the other thing that I, I thought you were maybe going to say there for a moment, and where I found myself was like. It kind of makes a lot of sense that he is a good wing back, uh, especially for this UVA team. Because when I think about McKinney's strengths, so the things that I think of as the strengths in his game, they are all very much accentuated playing as a right wing back for UVA. And the vulnerabilities are sort of limited because mm-hmm. I don't think of him. The knock that I hear consistently about him is that he doesn't have a very good touch, specifically his first touch, and that when he comes under pressure very quickly, if there's a high-intensity pressing system, he can cough up the ball, he can make bad decisions, uh, and maybe he can just hold it, hold on to it a little bit too long. So you remove him from the center of the pitch, you put him out wide, it is fundamentally easier to play on a wing than it is through the middle, because there's just, you know, you don't have two sides to play on. <laughs> You're basically functioning on one side. Uh, it does simplify things a little bit, but I think also... It's less costly, strange as that may be to say about a defender, it's less costly if he does turn the ball over because I think he has it in fewer threatening positions yeah. like to, to a defensive standpoint. That if he loses the ball on an overlapping run in the attack out wide, it's not nearly as big of an issue as you're trying to build through him and he turns under pressure and coughs it up and now the opposition has the ball in your half centrally. So I think it limits that. But at the same time, when I think of him, I think of him uh, lots of energy. Lots of physicality, technically sound enough, but also works really hard on both sides of the ball. And in their game this weekend, the nil-nil draw with Atalanta, I saw him get caught a few times with a lack of like positional awareness. I think tracking a runner that was designed to make a run to then open up space, and he followed that runner when maybe he shouldn't have. Uh, but I also saw him covering space really well on occasion, and so it wasn't just a consistent thing that was a problem. But I saw him working hard, getting back, uh, defending in 1v1s and slowing down attacks, but also making really good tackles. He has a really nice sliding challenge from behind. When one of his teammates coughed up the ball, he gets back 20 yards, wins it, and then stands right back up and plays a pass and then gets back into shape. And so it feels like it's putting him in a position to play really well and to play a game that he is comfortable with. Really, the only knock aside from that, it's not quite where he plays or not at all where he plays for the United States. But I think there's still some uh, carryover in what he's being asked to do. The only real knock is just that it's at the expense of Tim Weah. That is, if this were any other situation, I'd be like, this is great. He's playing consistent minutes for a good Italian team and getting a lot of instruction, learning a lot of positional discipline. It really is just that it means Weah is on the bench. That is the frustrating part of this. It's definitely a bummer, right? Because especially because I think Tim Weah is so... I think he could thrive in that role. I really do believe that for Juventus. I think he's good enough for that level. And I think that position is perfect for him because he's not a goal dangerous winger. He's a clever winger. He's an athletic winger. You said it winger. so much faster than I did. Thank you. Yes, that is the way I, to say that. Yes. <laughs> I just, I wish we could see more of Wea in that spot because if we are eventually talking about from a USMNT perspective, shifting to a back three, mm-hmm. Wea makes a lot of sense on one one wing or the other, right? One wing back spot or the other. Maybe you put him on the right and give Destiny. I mean, we don't need to get into the permutations now, but we're missing out on, on that. And there's a lot of time left in the season, so stuff can change. The other thing that, that holds me back a little bit, Taylor, from having your level of optimism, even though I'm not complaining about Weston McKinney playing, it's good that he's playing. I'm happy he's playing. It seems like he's having a good time. That's great. I would like to see him just get to play as an eight. Like, just man, just let him play a season in central midfield. It feels like that never happens for Weston McKinney. And I wish it would, but ultimately things are fine and I'm not, like, crying about it. So, yeah, we still have plenty of the season to play. And then it's Serie A playoffs, right? They've, right, they've got right. Fi- with 62%. Yeah, yeah, but of course. Yeah, of course, you get course, it, Taylor. Man, yeah, you're right on it. Yeah, I forgot about that change, <laughs> but you were there. Host, host extraordinaire. Uh, I appreciate that, my friend. Are there any other players, uh, briefly before we sure. call this one recorded, uh, any other players that you particularly want to see in U.S. camp? I mean, we know, like, like I know Rain is on that list. I know Pulisic being in form and Balogun and players we've talked about. Are there any sort of outliers or sort of random names that you wouldn't mind seeing brought into camp? Maybe not random, but Malik Tillman and Kevin Paredes are both on that list for me. Yeah. They're players that I'm I'm really interested in their development. This year, Malik Tillman, 21. 
is starting to, I think, find more of his footing with PSV. Had a couple of really nice balls recently for them. Like, I, I want to see more of Malik Tillman. I don't know that, like, he's demanding minutes right now, but continuing to bring him into camp and, and kind of monitoring him closely. And then Paredes, just somebody that I'm continually interested in as maybe the Jedi Robinson deputy, playing some in the Bundesliga, which is great. Um, it's where he was last year. I'd love to see a little bit more progress there. But I think we're really going to see the jump from him when he's playing as a fullback. And right now, he's still not really doing that. So those two players, I'll be very interested to see more of. And then one that I, I don't think is there yet, but could be there soon, Paxton Aronson, you know, starting to find a, a yeah. bigger role with uh, with Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. I like his game. I think he's got a high ceiling. He's been in U.S. camps before, uh, but not super important ones. So he's someone I'm watching, but not expecting or even really hoping to see later this month. Do you recall where we left things with Christopher Lund? You mentioned him previously. Uh, my recollection is that uh, I was okay with both him and Paredes, obviously against pretty uh, lower opposition, uh, but such that I wouldn't mind seeing either of them called into this camp again as the sort of depth options for that left back spot behind Jedi. Uh, is that about where you were on Lund? Yeah, I've soured a little bit on him. I don't think he's a bad player, uh, but maybe his circumstances still haven't settled enough. He's not really starting for Palermo and Serie B at this point. He gets time in the second game against Omani. I think in the first game as well against Uzbekistan, he plays off the bench in that game. Time in the first starts the second, I think. Just the advantage that Lund has is he plays as a fullback when he does play, and Paredes doesn't really do that. I would still put, if I had to push like my my stock over to one of these players in a long-term sense, or even in a year or two, I would push them towards Paredes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think also when we're talking about players who maybe aren't getting minutes or are like, like Coley Osho, new to the scene for us at least, but also starting games in the Premier League is an immediate sort of like, yep, got to get him in. Timothy Weah might not be starting for Juve, but is still getting minutes and it's for Juventus. Like Christopher Lund, no disrespect, but I guess some disrespect. Like if you're not playing for a Serie B team, there are larger concerns there, even if you can do a serviceable enough job at left back for the U.S. So I think, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him called in and see what he can do against better opposition. But at the same time, if we're going with a more limited roster, I would rather see Kevin Paredes and what he can do as a defender against stronger opposition, but then also what he can still do in terms of facilitating attacking play. So, yep. uh, yeah, let's get some Kevin Paredes in there. Let's start him in nine different positions and see how it goes. <laughs> uh, if and when that happens, Joe, I'm sure we will be discussing it. Obviously, we're going to be talking, previewing, reviewing these two friendlies in a bit more detail because it is against uh, stronger opposition and against both of these teams, I would say historical opposition. We've played them many times in various competitions, so I'm excited for both of these. I guess I'm excited for the playoffs in Major League Soccer, even though we're going to have a ton of teams and I'm not quite sure when the significance will fully click. But Joe, thank you for talking about playoffs, regular season, USMNTers or potential USMNTers doing all the things. Taylor, um, it was an honor. I really, I, I genuinely enjoyed this show. Lots of fun. I am still excited for the MLS playoffs just because there again, there's maybe something wrong with me. Um, but also, it, it's a good spectacle. Like if, if you're waiting for a chance to tune into the MLS season and you do both. care a little bit, it this is both. the time. Like, yeah, th- this is the time. So there are problems, um, but we we still love it anyway, and we enjoy <laughs> these players too. I know why you said it like that, but it was still hilarious that you had to do the hesitation. Definitely when you're talking to your significant other, say, I, I love you. That that would be the way to do it. That would be the way to do it for sure, Joe. Joe, thank you so much for taking time away from your uh, ongoing Roman vacation slash Ryan Bailey apology tour. It is greatly appreciated. Yeah, you got it, Taylor. This was fun. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, we very much appreciate that as well. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. 